0: You may ask, what do movie producers, music executives, fashion designers, and product innovators have in common? How do you cultivate creativity and turn artistic insight into business opportunity?
1: If somebody would have told us 20 years ago that most 14 to 25-year-olds would be consuming all their content on a black rectangle, you'd think, what?
0: This is Campus on the Common, the podcast of bright ideas from Emerson College's School of Communication. Broadcasting from Boston, Massachusetts, I'm your host, Emerson College alumnus and professor of communication studies, Mark Brody. In this episode, we'll talk with Emerson College Director of Business of Creative Enterprises, Wes Jackson, about the intersection between business and creativity. Welcome to Campus Uncommon. Thanks for having me. So what is the business of creative enterprise?
1: The business of creative enterprises is Emerson's Fairly new and innovative business program that is, I like to say, it's the business program for a place like Emerson. The key is that students in our program are looking at business through the creative lens. So uh, I like to say that we have two buckets. Either we have practitioners who want to move from in front of the mic to behind the mic, on stage to backstage. Uh, A lot of students who went to performing arts high schools are just like, I love what I'm doing, but the culture of auditioning and all this stuff is is not good for my mental health. The other bucket is, I like to say, are people like me who were pretty terrible as practitioners but still had the same love for the art and, and are trying to find their place of how can they still do business without, you know, they don't want to be a suit, they don't want to be a number cruncher, they want to still show their love and appreciation for whether it be film, music, fashion, so we had them both approaching the discipline, the, we like to call it the art of business, uh, where they can maintain their individuality, their creativity, while still focusing on things like the bottom line, profits, margins, balance sheets, all the stuff that a, a typical business program will teach you.
0: So what would be the manifestation of somebody who's excelled at business of the creative arts? So we're out in the monetized commercial world, what would be a job title that would be relevant to what we're studying here?
1: Oh, the job titles could be vast. Creative director is a is new one that students love now, which is this sort of amorphous uh, stylist, manager, consultant, image branding uh, concept that really Kanye West popularized with his his uh, friend Virgil Abloh, who's now the creative director for uh, LVMH, for Louis Vuitton, not, not actually LVMH. But... It's this idea of a person that comes from fashion. In my, it's a fashion and art term, but someone who's in charge of all the different branding. Uh, there's, you could be a line producer in film. Is it would be a classic uh, business of creative enterprise job. An A and in music. My background, certainly personal management, uh, travel tour management, uh, business managers in any of the various fields. An agent, we have a lot of people want to be agents, speak book speaking agents, booking agents, talent agents, film, TV. So it can go all over the place. We have publishers, editors, it's it's really anything. I'll talk about this later, but the, the jobs could really be uh, CFOs. It can it can go down to even <clears throat> excuse me, the the more straight up and down business school jobs.
0: So it sounds like a vast array of possibilities in terms of commercial positions. When you're looking to get into that particular world, what are some of the prerequisite courses of study that would enable you to be successful, be proficient once you've got into one of those industries?
1: That's a great question. So what we we teach the basics, finance and accounting, data analytics, there are those sort of courses that are your parents' business program. But one of the key things is two particular classes. One, we teach a class called Creative Collaboration where we literally teach you how to work with others, which maybe for you and I doesn't seem to be something that you need to be taught. But at some point, we figured it out. And more and more in this generation, you have this disconnected digital world that in a crazy way, the pendulum swings all the way around, and now they're super connected. So you really can't do anything by yourself. You need a coder, you need a lawyer, you need a graphic designer. So we teach them, how to manage teams, how to be a leader. I think you said it to me the other day, how to be the general, the colonel, the soldier, and know how to play your part, understanding your own personality. Then we have another class called Aesthetic Sensibilities, where we teach them to develop their own sense of taste. And as Pete Carl, who's our professor there, teaches them how to be a critic and what is the role of a critic. What is the language of saying, I looked at this sculpture this script, this concert, and I'm going to articulate the aesthetics of it to a third party, which is the uh, ultimate role of the critic, which are things you do not see in typical business programs, but we're, we're, the idea is you may be working at Netflix. Netflix is a great example. Netflix has people who can read scripts and understand like the aesthetics of that script, the plot development, the crack characters, the producers, etc. cetera, but then also Netflix is a data gathering service. So there's a data analytics portion. And in order to be greenlit at Netflix, both sides of that house have to agree. And there's a great example of how House of Cards got greenlit, which was Netflix's first major original series. They shopped it to AMC, Showtime, HBO, like normal people. You know, they were getting offers. I'll give you a million for a pilot, 100000 for this, that, and the third 254 first, a first look. Netflix came and said, "Mm, Looks cool. We'll get back to you. Came back and I think said, Listen, here's, you know, $17 million. We'll buy the whole first series. And the creators are like, Wait, what? That's not how it's done. They were like, Well, we looked at the script. Script is great. It's a BBC show. So we pulled the analytics on how the original House of Cards did. We put in Robin Wright, Kevin Spacey. I forget who the writer was at the time. And essentially put it into the algorithm and we spit out a certain amount of people who we feel confident would stream this and that carry the two, blah, 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 blah. That means this number. So let's go. And it fundamentally changed creators of saying, I can actually get the full budget. I don't have to play this guessing game of, well, is this going to be a hit? I don't know. And it's a gut feeling. It's that plus the analytics. So uh, we're teaching that, how to read a spreadsheet, how to balance a balance sheet, but also how to really know in your heart, like that's a good looking suit. And now how do we weaponize that, as it
0: were. Wow, I mean, talk about a non-linear education. You're really getting the best of both worlds, that typical linear business background, as well as that creative side of things. Absolutely. Now the linear side, we're accustomed to. We've grown up in you know, the US education system, very linear approach to things. It's the artistic side. That's a particular interest. How do you teach that respect for the artistic side? The, you know, the aesthetic, I think, was one of the words you used. What are some of the complexities that have to be overcome, especially in the classroom, in order to instruct on in that?
1: That's another great question. How do you maintain the aesthetics, so to speak? Well, the great thing is most of our students are coming in dripping with the aesthetics, right? They know what they like, they have strong opinions from Avengers movies to sneakers to uh, theater productions. So because they're coming, approaching business with a creative focus, that's sort of like bubbling out. What we're really doing is just refining it. Uh, Again, teaching them the language of this is how you express that like, so how's the new Kanye West? Oh, it's dope. Yeah, see, that's not enough as a professional. We have to have a little bit more of a mature conversation. What is it about it? The mix on the third track was well, and the songwriter and that producer are a good combination, and they combine well on the chorus. So we're give, uh, just giving them the opportunity to articulate these things. So what's great about Hamilton? You know, it's the score, it's the sound writing, it's, it's the rhymes, it's the historical perspective, it was a development. So we, we really refined that aesthetics. And that's the upside of what we have. Where normally at a business school, somebody's coming in here like, "Well, I'm not thinking about, you know, what I'm wearing, or I'm not necessarily thinking about what's playing at Arts Emerson or at the Colonial Theater." But our students really are. So that's a heavy lift for other programs, but it's kind of a layup for us. And then we add the logistics and the business behind it. And then right then they're sort of getting, we're. I guess if you're thinking linear, the aesthetics is this squiggly line. We straighten that out a little bit, but we don't want to make it too straight because we want to still let it be weird because that's the fun part. And then we add, you know, the spreadsheet stuff is with it as well.
0: I love that weirdness. What it reminds me of, it's it's difficult to take people who are in the box thinkers and ma- and push them out of the box. Whereas what it sounds like is the students you're working with are very much out-of-the-box thinkers who were teaching that if you need to, you can now operate within that box. Is that a fair assessment?
1: And that's a great way to look at it. I encourage you to stay out of the box and make the box work for you. I don't know if I'm butchering the metaphor, <laughs> right? But, you know, the box is a tool, right? The box is not... The box
0: would be the institution, would be the business. Right. Say the film industry. You could go into the film industry, having an accounting background and no finance, and that's wonderful. I mean, there's similarities between film and many other industries where you can apply financial rules. Yes. But to be an out-of-the-box thinker, that's difficult for very linear people, whereas the students you're talking about come with that aesthetic hard-baked in. Yeah, exactly. They are very much out-of-the-box, but now you're essentially teaching the appreciation of how do you work within the established framework.
1: Right, because as much as you want to be disruptors, there are, in my opinion, universal rules, right? Supply, demand, profit, revenue. Market, you know, market segmentation. These are things that are always going to be there. You can't sell that that jacket to everybody in the world. That's just a reality of it. So there, we teach them those universal rules. Now, don't take your out of the boxness or your aesthetics and stuff it into that. Just understand that these are two almost. They're operating at the same um, uh, whatever congruently or uh, parallel to one another rather. So. You exactly what it is, but I come from a world. Where I tell them all the time, be crazy, be out of the box, because being in the box that's one that's not where the money is, and things that you accept to be normal now, probably to you and me, are absolutely crazy. Twenty years ago, Netflix, Spotify, YouTube. This is if if somebody would have told us twenty years ago that most fourteen to twenty five year olds would be consuming. All of their content on a black rectangle, you'd think, what? Like, what? Yeah, that's out
0: of Star Trek.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's Star Trek. Or, you know, that they would have little watches like this. This is Dick Tracy. This is literally out of the comic books. We would laugh. But someone, somewhere said, no, I'm going to do that and i'm going to take my company public and i'm going to have quarterly earning reports and i'm going to have an hr department and you know someone like a steve jobs walking around tripping on acid barefoot but at the same time going to shareholders meetings doing product launches putting together a retail system all that straight-laced stuff but he was able to be himself and work with the box so i say to them you know that's that's as a business person That's what you should be pursuing. Now, if you just want to go to Goldman Sachs and put somebody, a bucket of money into one bucket to another and get a commission off of it, that's cool. You shouldn't be here. You should go up to Cambridge. They specialize in moving rich people's money around. We're in here trying to change the world and trying to create new technologies, new ways of thinking to connect people to make the world a better place. Not that people at Goldman are not trying to make the world a better place, but-
0: but I'm hearing what you're saying. You know what I'm saying. Two completely different goals. Yeah. One typically is just straight financial. Gee, can I put some more numbers in the bank account? Versus let's actually accomplish something. And if we happen to do well along the way, that's not too bad. Either. Right.
1: Or saying, I want to do well. I want to be rich. There's nothing wrong with saying, listen, I like things. You know, I want to I be rich. Uh, and I'm not anti-capitalist at all uh, in, in that respect. But saying, I do need to think about burning down the planet, though. And I do need to make sure I'm not we LGBT and people of color and that, that we're all feel welcome. That's important to me as well. Now, let's get rich. There's a way to get rich and be inclusive. They're not mutually you know, opposed, uh, whatever the word is. Uh, they, and we just encourage them because naturally we know this. We can make money and we can be nice to each other and we can be talk, talk to one another. They don't have to push one out. And we just sort of nurture that over the course of the program with the degree.
0: Fantastic. What are some of the courses? You've touched on it briefly, some of the elements you study. Could you give us a, a more depthful un- understanding of the things you would actually study in the business of creative enterprises? And are they applicable elsewhere if one decides not to get into that particular profession?
1: Absolutely. We have creative thinking burns through everything that we do. Some would call it design thinking. So we have uh, we talk about convergent problem solving, which is in the creative industry. Somebody's sitting here like, I got this movie, and it's stuck in development. So I got to get the actor, I got to get the producer, I got to get the screenwriter, all working together to fix this this project. It could be clothing, it could be music. The creative arts are dripping with these problem solving skills that you can easily pick up and take elsewhere. And we encourage some people are sitting here like, listen, I don't necessarily want to get into film, TV, fashion, music, the normal things that that or theater that Emerson is known for, but I want to apply that thinking to, you know, real estate or whatever the case may be. So that level of convergent thinking is one is one aspect design thinking, of who's more empathetic, well, stereotypically than the artist. Who is the person that makes you cry, right, that cries on stage, cries on film, you know, cries in the theater? Those emotions, those are almost a currency we deal with. So we say, well, now that level of empathy, use that in business. Don't look at look at that budget not as a stale piece of paper, but that's a budget. Those numbers are somebody's salary, that's somebody's education, somebody's tuition, somebody's food. Approach that with the empathy that you would use as an artist. And we're like, what? Like yeah, you know, every, just love it. love the numbers, love the spreadsheet, love the design, love love you know, uh, approach it with the care and intent that you would your, your lines or your script. So I think those are absolutely skills that you could pick up and take anywhere. I would actually say it's already there, but nobody really talks about it. And, and maybe I'd be jumping jumping the gun. But there's two things in business in my mind. There is creativity, and there's numbers, right? You don't have a business if you're not making money. Let's just write newsflash. That's my TED Talk, right? But you also don't have any business without creativity. If nobody's thinking that this microphone, like, how can I make this a little bit on um, the direction? How can I make it more aesthetically pleasing? So when you walk into b you're like, ooh, look at, the, I want this headphone. It could just be a square block like the borg and star trek and people and, and you would not make money cars everything these chairs these are not the chairs that we had when we were in school so creativity and the finance are in everything but for some reason business has been told it's only the numbers so i say you can walk into whatever you do and bring that level of creativity whether it be of a, a treat you know a marketing plan. You know, how do you design your actual physical office, right? How do you want, what do you want the reception to look at? What art do you want to hang in the front, you know, in, in the front lobby? Look at all the big places. So the creativity is is everywhere. So you can pick this up, and you don't have to stay in these industries at all.
0: Is there a way within the program to expand your creative capabilities? And where I'm going with this, let's assume that we've, we're bringing somebody in who's traditionally been a linear thinker. They grew up in a household very numbers-oriented, and now they find themselves in Emerson. They find themselves in a community of very creative people, but they might not feel like they're they're as creative. Is there ways to develop creativity within young people so that they could partake in, in some of the studies in which you guys are successful?
1: Yes, I think, and this is maybe a, a answer to a question that I didn't for fully answer. We also teach creativity as a tool. We teach our students creativity is not the muse coming from the sky out of whatever apollo or zeus's mind that strikes you it's a skill just like a jump shot just like running a ball you know your your golf swing you can practice it and the more you practice it you can refine it and make it better so if you're saying like i feel creative but i don't really know what to do like that's fine that's fine so here's all of these you know here's all these writings on it here's philosophies on it here's videos here's skills his practices, his best practices. Here are people who actually have had that same thing that you're feeling. They're gonna come and talk to you, so we kind of unearth that nugget from from underneath you, and then they wake up and be like, "Oh, so that's not who I am." But in a sense, like, "Oh, so that's I'm um that's I, so I'm a tour manager." Yeah, yeah. You like to travel. You like logistics. You're a good planner. You're sort of the therapist of your crew. Right, you're quick on your feet. That's really who you are. And you're like, I never thought about that. Like I know, I know, because you never really, we never worked at it. So we teach that as a tool and we treat it as a tool just like you have to learn Excel, uh, just like if somebody a PA would have to learn at, you know, Photoshop or rather the VMA folks have to learn Final Cut Pro or Avid. This is
0: our tool and we teach it as a tool. Wow, what a spectrum of topics. <laughs> Literally everything from Excel all the way through empathy. Yeah. That's just amazing. And I could see how that would be especially appreciated in an institution such as Emerson where where media people were communicators. When you look at the people who have graduated from the program, where do they find themselves today?
1: To be honest, I have to be, this is our first graduating class. So we've literally had one person graduate who graduated a full year early. Uh, Rebecca Bass, shout out to her. She's coming back to speak to our students next week. So she's now working at a creative design firm that combines a place called IDEO that not only will put together uh, marketing plans and multimedia, but is actually taking that level of thinking and redesigning products. So they are the conduit between, and I may be butchering this so I apologize, but say industrial design of this little tripod and- That would
0: be the tripod holding up the microphone. Yes,
1: who <laughs> can't see us? But, and you, who are sitting here saying, you the practitioner saying, this is not, this. I don't know what I, this is, this tripod's not really working right now. IDEO's like,
0: hmm. Mm, it smells like opportunity.
1: Exactly, and they're like, so what would you like? You know, colored, whatever, prongs, or whatever you call these things at the bottom? Should it be higher, should it be adjustable? Do you want and they and then they actually design and help prototype the actual new product. So they're taking the sort of malformed idea and they're making it happen, which is the ultimate B C E thing. Starting as creative as being wild and non-linear, and then be like, okay, cool, but now we actually have to manufacture this thing, and now we also going to give you the schematics on how to manufacture it. So she's where that's where she's working, which is going to be a perfect place for other BC people to come a lot of internships I can speak to another industry we're finding ourselves in is nonprofit management which is what I talked to you about because development because a lot of our students have this connection to the community whether it be climate change you know our these these young people today are much more sort of self-aware yeah they're socially conscious but they want to make money and then they like events and they like a logistics and they're like, wait a minute, that's development because you gotta produce the galas, raise the money and then it's all connected to you know, helping out recently incarcerated brothers and sisters from Roxbury and they're like, this is my life. So I think that's an industry that when the program was conceived of, necessarily people didn't realize but the students are naturally gravitating um, towards it all. So. Uh, there's, But I think obviously a lot of people want to be producers, a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of uh, music agents, a lot of A&Rs, the, the more typical people. A lot of people want to be ta- uh, acquisitions at like a Viacom or a Netflix. They want to be the ones greenlighting lighting scripts. Uh, but this sort of like industrial design, a lot of fashion, a lot of people want to work um, for everyone from an LVMH to a local streetwear like Supreme. Um, but the nonprofit development is one that's very fascinating to me.
0: Fantastic. With our remaining time, could you give the audience three takeaways? So, three takeaways I would from the uh,
1: business of creative enterprise program is one: everything is creative. You cannot live without creativity. People can talk, look at municipal budgets. One thing that we also talk about a, lot about a lot about is gentrification. Is how do the creative field sometimes hurt society, right? Because you can have where I'm from in New York, you can have Williamsburg, which is which is full of Polish brothers and sisters and Puerto Ricans and Italians, and then the artists came, drove up the rent prices, and now so then the artists in here like that wasn't my intent to kick out, you know the the you know the the pierogi shop, nor did I want to kick out the abuelita. It's corner store, and they're like, yeah, well, the developers came in behind you and did that. So we talk about that social impact, but the idea of how important creativity is ubiquitous. Go to anyone and say, I'm gonna go to your local city budget, and we're gonna remove everything that's associated with the creative enterprise. So that means no more museums, no museums, no movie theaters, regular theaters, uh, and then you're just going to kind of go to work, make your money, come home, go to Whole Foods, buy your food, consume and go back to work. And just that idea would be like, that would be a terrible world. No record labels because there's no need for that either. No more House of Blues. We're going to close House of Blues. We're going to put that money into a defense contract or something like that. So if you if you think about that, you realize, like, I need creativity to live. And there's a lot of um, some of the stuff we teach, teach them as freshmen is this idea of after you have food and shelter, protection, and the ability to sort of procreate, your next human urge is creativity.
0: Sure, so Maslow's hierarchy of needs is you move up the pyramid towards self-actualization potential. Yeah, exactly. Makes a lot of sense, actually.
1: And then after that, it's leisure. Then when you really, right, when you're not worried about eating, you're not worried about being cold, and your family is safe, and then you've sort of got you thinking, then all of a sudden you're like, now I want to relax. So now I need to go to the movies, I want to go to the restaurant. So we are right, we are in that ecosphere. So that's the one takeaway, everything is creative. And the one quick story I'll I'll say about this, Dr. Brent Smith, who's the new chair of the marketing department, said this at our orientation, is people take creativity for granted. Maybe this is my second thing, you take creativity for granted. When I grew up, my dad had a old like a '67 Mustang, and if you think about that, we used to drive that, and we also had a station wagon. We drive South Carolina, and if you ever remember, I feel like you're old enough to remember this: three in the front, three in the back, right? Throw some kids in the hatch, completely dangerous. illegal, <laughs> exactly. But I used to be the when I'm the youngest of youngest of all the cousins, except for one. So I always sat in the middle front seat. I don't care. Pile them in, right? But now look at a car, bucket seats. Now the middle, what's in the middle? Cup holders, chargers, USB ports. And what that was is that is directly connected to the rise of women drivers. Men were like, just put me in a thing, and I want to go from A to B. Women were like, well, I have to take the kids to school. I'm being very gendered and old school, but this is when those roles were very split. Well, I got to take the kid to school, and I'm driving. So, one, I need my baby to be safe. So, if we're three across, who? where's the seatbelt in the middle? Right? Where's the comfort in there? And then car manufacturers had to respond to that. And then car change from a box on wheels, maybe that could go really fast. Now you close the doors, it's quiet inside. It actually... Is much more like a womb, where you get inside. The seats envelop you, and then you feel better. It's quiet from the outside world, and there's a lot of studies saying that. That was as women began to drive, cars became more like women, protective, strong, fast, all the things that we are. Plus, as any man would know, and then you had to add that creativity to car design. So now you got bucket seats and. Uh, cruise control and climate control. So even you can look at the move from the Mustang with the bench seat to the Benz 500 with the bucket seats with dual climate control. That's creativity. Look at a Tesla and tell me an artist did not conceive that, you know, that design.
0: I think it's creativity as well as diversity. Yeah. Having, I have relatives that were in Detroit that were designers, and they were a bunch of old white guys who served in World War II and had that sort of conservative edge to them. As the design industry developed, women came into that. They offered a different approach, if you will. Mm-hmm. And perhaps that's where the observation that hey, this bench seat this isn't really safe. It doesn't account for you know having a small child. We need a different approach. And if we had a, a bucket seat that actually encompass us it makes us feel more secure that's going to have a value and a benefit whereas in the past you know straight white men from detroit versus now let's open this up to a different approach mm-hmm. i.e because someone from a different gender would problem solve in a different manner
1: exactly and then you got you doubled your market share congratulations look at that instead of straight no straight white men but that there's more money to be made now you got you know, now you have full figured you know moms Puerto Rican moms like well I want to buy a car too GM is like well <laughs> then I want to sell as many cars as possible and this is what I would say the I don't know how many takeaways I'm at maybe I'm the third one now what I've been saying in my class is the sort of the unifying and positive effect of capitalism right capitalism and racism are conjoined quint as Kendi writes these days, Ibram I- Kendi writes in his book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. And I agree with that. But at the same time, in my opinion, there's a couple things that kind of cut through the foolishness of racism, which never answers the question it ever poses. Sports, right? Listen, I may not like you, but when, if that pitch at 98 miles an hour is coming down and you can hit it over the fence— Am I not going to put you out there because you're a white dude? You know, the, the rules of sports be like, you're fired if you're going to start making decisions like that, right, Jackie? That's the Jackie Robinson story.
0: Jesse, Jesse Owen, Jackie Robinson. Jesse o. Robinson. I mean, there's oh, there's no, so no, many no, heroes no. like T- Carlson Smith at the Olympics standing up to make right. Well, you
1: say that doesn't that's dumb. Cuts through racism, cuts through gender, homophobia,
0: the military,
1: right? I, I s- certainly am not concerned who you're kissing at night. When you know when you're sh- when when the enemy's coming at you, right? And then there is business. Let's get this money, right? So how far are you willing to take this? We talk about in our class how Victoria's Secret didn't hire a transgendered woman to be one of their models for their fashion show, and the CEO or the CFO at the time was like, "That's just not our brand." And obviously, the, the LGBTQ community came out and rightfully. Ripped them apart and I co-signed that 100 percent at some point the accounts had to be like um it's underwear bro and those women I don't if you don't want to call them women I, they are coming into our retail stores and they're looking for lace underwear Somebody in this room explained to me why we are not selling lace underwear to this person who identifies as a woman and if your answer is because they're icky they make me feel weird get out. There's no room. That's not what we're talking about. Take that home. Take that bigotry home. But if I'm in the business of selling underwear, I want to sell underwear to as many people as possible. And then the transgender community can use that wedge to be like, yes, can we stop getting over? Yes, I was born with a penis. I'm, I am identify as a woman. Get over it because it really doesn't have nothing to do with you. And the tr- true capitalists will be like, yep, yep, yep. Yeah, I'm, I'm with that. I may go home and be a bigot. I can't control that. But I can make sure that representation equals money, right? That's what we talked about on Friday. To be just a dirty, rotten, robber-baron capitalist, there's money to be made. Bigotry, uh, a lack of diversity, excluding people is not good for business. So we really, I, I hate to use this word, but I love it so much, we weaponize that. We say, listen, tell that story. You're a queer Asian guy from Thailand or whatever. In my class, get, uh, explain please. Cause I'm a straight black guy from the Bronx. I'll be glad to talk to you about hip hop until your ears fall off. And then I want to hear about yours. And then we sit down and be like, hmm. So there's a market here. You know what I mean? A transgender Australian, you know, knife throwing hip hop fan. That's a thing, isn't it? Hmm. And then now we're sitting together collaborating, and then the more you work with each other, you're like, you know what? I had a certain thought about transgender Australian Aboriginals, but you, my man, now.
0: So it's market segmentation.
1: Market segmentation. That brings it brings we break it all down, and bring it back and and bring it back together. So inclusion, you in the creative industries, know what the rest of the world is already figuring out. You. That you gotta you gotta leave that bigotry at the at the door, because if can you imagine if LVMH was like we don't we don't want gay men, we don't want women, we don't want people of color, in here they wouldn't be a billion dollar company. It's just dumb. It's just I get fired up about this. It's like, race all racism, transphobia, sexism, ageism. It's just not good for business. And I'm a pretty altruistic dude and I leave with my heart I like to make money I like to I like to make the sale and I can never imagine why you would ever walk into a cake shop and be like excuse me um, who are you having sex with at night oh no 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 We I don't want that sale that is just it, it does not compute to me so we tell people who are who we, we want to encourage more of that thinking tell more stories more diversity because again to be the dirty capitalist that means more money that means there's more people, you know, more people being heard, more people in the marketplace, the more representation, the more another kid is not going to think about suicide because they've seen their their movie on Netflix. We good. We save their lives. And then we get their $12.99 in the streaming. It's kind of like a dirty, clean thing at the same time. But that's um, the three takeaway. So I guess, yeah, it's just like you said, inclusion is just better everywhere you look at. It. It's good for us. It's good for the bottom line. It's good for the soul. It's good for the planet. And that's what we're about.
0: We spoke with Wes Jackson. Wes is the director of Business of Creative Enterprises at Emerson College. He has over 20 years of experience as an entrepreneur and innovator in the music business. As a concert promoter, record label, talent management, and multimedia company executive, he's worked with the Dave Matthews Band, HBO The Wire, the film Brown Sugar, and scored the theme to The Boondocks. He founded the Brooklyn Hip Hop Festival that has hosted a range of amazing talent, including Jay-Z, Kanye West, and Kendrick Lamar. You've been listening to Campus on the Common. Campus on the Common provides an expert view into the field of media and communication through the lens of academic experts and industry professionals from Emerson and beyond. I'm Emerson College alumnus and professor of communication studies, Mark Brody. We had studio help from associate producer Lucas Poiser and Sam DeCoste. Campus on the Common is a production of Emerson College's School of Communication. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts.